Great to be here with you on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett. Glad you're with us here on 3 and Out. Plenty to get to on the show. Chris Fanini of The Athletic. He covers Group of Five uh, football for The Athletic. And we're talking about Conference USA and Sunbelt and the pettiness uh, that is taking place uh, there. The three schools, of course, Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss said, we're out, we're not playing. Conference USA said, <laughs> yes, you are, and here's the schedule to prove it. And they responded, I think Marshall responded to and said, we saw the schedule, not playing. Uh, we are going to be leaving. So where's this thing headed? We'll chat with uh, Chris Vanini coming up in uh, in just a, uh, a little bit. Also, Kylie McDaniel, pitchers and catchers reported. No, they didn't. They didn't report today, uh, but... Uh, he did put out ESPN's top 100 MLB prospects. The Braves have two on there, and probably more interesting, who's not on there for the Braves. We'll talk to Kylie McDaniel coming up about that on the program. And Michael Jenkins, Falcons' great 2004 first-round NFL draft pick, set to join us. Could the Falcons be at it again in the first round, drafting a pass catcher? And, BJ, you and I were talking about that. Since Julio Jones, this will be the 11th draft since they took Julio Jones. So basically a decade, this will be the fourth time in the first round the Falcons the Falcons have taken a pass catcher, a wide receiver, and or tight end. Of course, they would be going back-to-back if uh, they did a wide receiver this year in the draft after getting Kyle Pitts last year at tight end. I'll call him a pass catcher, you know, pseudo-receiver for what uh, he does there at the tight end spot. So four times in the past decade, you would have taken... A, uh, a pass catcher in uh, Todd McShay's latest mock draft. Why are you talking about that? Has Drake London out of Southern Cal going eighth overall to the Atlanta Falcons. Now, whether it's him or somebody else, you can make a case for other wide receivers. Do you think the Falcons do it yet again, a top 10 pick on a wide receiver? And I think it would be one of the few times in history, was reading early earlier today, that a team would take a pass catcher in back-to-back top 10s uh, of an NFL draft. I like Drake London a lot out of SC, uh, big wide receiver, 6'5", had huge numbers before getting hurt with the Trojans, still had huge numbers. For me, I, I, I would probably lean Jamison Williams as the top wide receiver for me. Uh, now, I think you're going to see multiple guys go in the top 15. I mean, and probably four or five go in the first round when you think about Jamison Williams, when you think about Drake London, when you think about Traylon Burks, when you think about Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. Then you get into George Pickens and Justin Ross and Jalen Tolbert. I mean, this is a fantastic wide receiver class. It really is. I mean, Sky Moore, there's there's tremendous depth in this in this wide receiver class. And I think if you're Atlanta, you're certainly looking at a playmaker uh, in the top ten. I, we'll get into this later in the show, but I, I don't kind of know what your philosophy is as you enter the draft. The, the, the further down you are, uh, you have – kind of less of a rigid plan to go off of because things change in front of you. But Atlanta's in the in in the top ten and in a spot where I think there's at least an outside chance anybody maybe outside of Evan Neal could fall to them. I mean, we've seen some mock drafts that have had uh, Aiden Hutchinson fall. We've seen some mock drafts that have had Kyle Hamilton fall. So I think Atlanta's in an interesting spot. Best player available may be uh, the way to go. Do you look quarterback? Yeah. Do you look quarterback? This year, given that you're in the top ten and you don't plan on being there many times again in the future, but I think I think the Falcons are in a unique spot. And uh, again, Todd McShay, Drake London, eight overall. Yeah, be interesting. And I would imagine if the Falcons go quarterback, it's going to be on the down low. Like they will feed everybody, everybody else. 
uh, i.e., don't jump ahead of us and take a pick because most people will look at the Falcons and say, hey, they're committed to Matt Ryan. And you very well may be. But I'm not putting that out there in the draft. As you said, the, you got Kenny Pickett in this mock draft at 11. Most of the quarterbacks are not the, hey, I got to get in the top 10 to go get them uh, kind of guys. If I'm the Falcons sitting there at eight, if there's a guy you really like, you say, hey, we're going to groom him, do it. I could think of about five or six other places you could go that would help your team right now. I think I think of a couple other places you could go besides wide receiver, BJ, that would help your team uh, well, right now through the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, and, and this appears to be a pretty deep draft. Again, you're coming out with super seniors, super juniors, uh, in some cases coming into this draft, guys who have played an extra year of legitimate college football, uh, and it's pretty deep with guys who feel they're NFL ready uh, at some of those positions. And again, I, if I'm Atlanta, I would, I would try to do that and shore up Matt Ryan. Now, again, you may not feel... Uh, pretty good about Calvin Ridley, who's back, I think, tweeting on social media again. Uh, but a lot of people think maybe he doesn't come back to the Falcons. Maybe he's looking for a fresh start, what have you. I think at this point, everything we've heard from the Falcons is you have no idea if Calvin Ridley's going to play football for you ever again. You, you, you just have no idea. And I'm not saying that's anybody's fault, but as an organization, you have to plan for the fact that, hey, our number one wide receiver may not come back. We wish him the best. We hope he gets the help he needs for his mental health. But he may not come back, and that's a reality you have to, to to deal with. So I could see why receiver becomes attractive there, but you still, I think, have to protect your quarterback, and there's a whole lot of other options you could go to uh, there as well. It's interesting, uh, as you said, again, uh, Evan Neal going to the Jags, that's seemingly becoming more of a consensus. I mean, the dude started every game from the time he was a freshman at Alabama, who, if you haven't been paying attention, along with Georgia and now Texas A&M, recruit by far and away the best consistent talent over and over and over and over again. He started from day one at tackle at Alabama, won championships, played in SEC championships. Like, what else do you need to see? If I'm wanting to get Evan Neal, like, bro, don't even go to the combine. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you just keep working out, doing what you're doing, and you're going to be the number one pick. He is that good. And to me, the fact that it was anybody else ever considered in that spot, and maybe the Jacks will start throwing out, oh, we really like, maybe, I, why, I don't know, but to me that t- just makes too much sense for Jacksonville. You get a guy who has never done anything but start at tackle for maybe the best, most consistent program in college football over the last decade. I take that guy to protect my quarterback. That's a no-brainer. And at Alabama, he played left tackle and right tackle because I know there's some thoughts in Jacksonville that, that maybe Walker Little could be your left tackle if you don't re-sign Cam Robinson, who's probably either way. Get, I mean, you still need to protect. Bit. Yeah, but Trevor probably Long. going to get a big payday in free agency uh, if you if you need to maybe start Evan Neal at right tackle before moving to left tackle. He's done that. Actually, also played guard early in his career at Alabama. So his position versatile along the front is as big of, of an offensive lineman as you will see, but also has that great agility and athleticism uh, athleticism and coordination. I think Drew DeArmond was telling us that he's one of the quickest players kind of in a, in a short space uh, that, 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 that he's seen that have played offensive line at Alabama and the track record of doing it against the best of the best in the SEC. Coming in day one as a true freshman and starting at that program with those expectations. And oh, by the way, you think those offenses with Tua, and Mac Jones and Bryce Young have been pretty good. Evan Neal's been the starting point for much of that at the line of scrimmage. I agree. You brought in uh, a coach to help develop Trevor Lawrence. I think you're going to bring in players in the draft to help develop Trevor Lawrence, whether it's 
you know, a couple of wide receivers, a tight end, an offensive tackle. But I think you're going to see the focal point of this Jaguars draft be on offense. And I think it starts with Neil, and you are right. This has become more of a consensus. When the mock draft circuit kind of began, it was Aiden Hutchinson, right, that we saw time and time again. And I think all of us were a little bit surprised at that. Uh, and that's cooled some. In in terms of the recent mock drafts, I have not seen a ton of Aiden Hutchinson to the Jaguars. I've seen Evan Neal. I've seen some uh, Ikem Ekwanu, the offensive lineman from North Carolina State. I've seen some Charles Cross, the offensive tackle uh, from Mississippi State references. So I think the the pundits, the analysts feel like Jacksonville is going to go offensive line with this number one overall pick. Now, maybe the closer you get to this thing, somebody falls in love with a quarterback, falls in love with one of the edge rushers, and wants to trade. And you feel like you can drop down a spot or two or three and still get one of the top offensive tackles. I think this is a great offensive tackle class. I think Neal's the best, but Equanu's really good. Uh, and, and then Charles Cross out of Mississippi State, really good as well. So I think Jacksonville's in a good spot. Uh, boy, you have more options when you don't have to take the quarterback. And, and of course, last year it fell into your lap with, with Trevor Lawrence, but you are in a position where if you want to take Kyle Hamilton, who some people say is the best player regardless of position on the board, you can do it. You don't have to have the quarterback. If you want to take the edge rusher to pair with Josh Allen, you can do it. But I think I'm, I'm with you. Evan Neal's the smart pick. Yeah, it just makes too much sense to uh, to, to get it done. As you said, Todd McShay, his mock draft, got four quarterbacks in the first round. Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, and Sam Howell. He had Sam Howell going to uh, the Lions at uh, at number 32. Sorry, Sam. Uh, but you you look at these quarterbacks. Is there anybody you're willing to move up for if you're the Atlanta Falcons, BJ, and you have that thought in your mind of quarterback of the future, who's the guy we're willing to take and let sit? That has not been a trend in the NFL as of, as of late, right? I mean, you get a guy in the first round, hey, we're going to let him sit and learn. People say that on draft day, and then they play. Who is there a guy that you would feel like is the a guy that would fit Atlanta and could sit behind Matt Ryan and wait? I think that would be you, worth the yeah, first round. Pick. I think when you rank the quarterbacks, to me, Pickett and Willis or Willis and Pickett are right there at the top. I would put them ahead of Corral and and Howell. And I I do agree. You know, Todd McShay, others are now having multiple quarterbacks go in the first round. You have, what, three in the top 18? Well, it's going to happen. Right, you just right. know that, that, that All is. the talk that was starting when the season ended up, oh, man, there aren't great quarterbacks. First off, that's not true. I mean, these guys, well, it, it, there may not historically, be. Historically, right, it doesn't stack but, up to some of the But I agree with gym. Ben when he said, you know, when you look at some of these players, when you look at what Kenny Pickett did, Malik Willis did, Matt Corral, Sam Howell, I mean, what, what more do you want? I mean, you've seen records broken. You've seen programs elevated. You've seen big games against big-time competition. I think Pickett and and Willis are the top two for me, and I would I would think it would make a lot of sense, and I would nod right along if Atlanta took either one of those guys uh, at eight. I think you're going to see Pickett and Willis continue to move up in some of the mock drafts because I think there's there's kind of an understanding, sort of a gravitational pull that those guys that's 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 one A one B. Those are the top two quarterbacks. We'll see what happens, you know, pro days and all this. I mean, we'll see kind of how that plays out. I think Corral uh, and 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 Howell are maybe second half of the first-round guys. Now, you have teams like Washington, I think, at 11 or 12. You have Minnesota, like, at 12 or 13. Uh, maybe you see them take a quarterback, potentially. Corral, uh, of course, the injury, unfortunately, uh, at the end of the year. And then Howell had just a, just a really dynamic, season yet again, but also had some interceptions. So I think maybe there might be a tad bit of hesitation there. But Pickett and Willis, to me, 
I think those guys are emerging as the top two franchise quarterbacks in this pre-draft process. It's going to be interesting to watch what uh, emerges there of the uh, the quarterback class as well. And uh, certainly in that mock draft, you've got four UGA defenders for Todd McShay going in the first round. Kobe Dean, Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, and Devontae Wyatt. Plus, I mean, if you want to count Jermaine Johnson, he's got him in the first round as well. Former uh, Georgia Bulldog who transferred to Florida State for this uh, this last season. So, Plenty of Georgia talent. You said, uh, BJ, depending on the mock draft, as many as maybe not all in one round, but you've seen six different guys land as first-round picks off that Georgia squad. So could be a a banner day for Georgia in the first round. We'll break that down when we come back. Could they tie a record? Six guys off Alabama, six guys off 2000, or 2021 Alabama, and six guys off 2004 Miami all went in the first round. Could Georgia be setting up for something similar? We'll get to that next. This is 3 and Out. Good to have you along on this Wednesday. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com as well. You can also live uh, catch us live streaming on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Check out our YouTube channel at ESPN Coastal. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio. 3 and Out on this Wednesday. We'll chat with Chris Vanini of The Athletic coming up in just a little bit. He covers Group of Five. And, man, this is fascinating to me. Uh, the... The drama, the pettiness. I'm, I'm here for the pettiness. You like this story. I do. This is this is like the best story of college football. Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss said, we're out. We're leaving. We're going to the Sun Belt. And Conference USA said, no, you're not. And we will sue you to make sure you stay. I mean, this sounds like a wonderful relationship uh, set to work out. Not only out. that, release the conference schedule. Yeah, they put the conference schedule and put out. Them in, so the dates and everything, the logistics yep. and all the stuff that's being considered, that includes these schools. Yep. So you have several dates where, obviously, Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss are all set to play. Conference USA folks who have said, we're leaving. They actually, Marshall, I think, went out and reiterated today. It's like, we're aware. You put out a schedule. Still not playing. We're going to go over here. We told you that. And so uh, this sounds like a relationship set to end beautifully. And that's why we're going to chat with Chris Vanini like, Sunbelt's going to release their schedule here, have to, pretty soon. You know they the, the schools have told you we're coming in on July 1. Sunbelt's got to release a schedule with them in it, right? So you have two schedules. You have a conference USA schedule. This is amazing. So we'll chat with uh, Chris Vanini about that coming up here in about uh, 10 minutes on the program. But Georgia, a chance, BJ. Maybe not a strong chance, but there is a chance uh, that they could tie t- 2004 Miami. 2021 Alabama, uh, they're the only two teams that have had six first-round draft picks. Could Georgia do it? I know Todd McShay's mock draft came out. Kobe Dean, Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, all in there. That's four. You said, hey, I've seen some other mock drafts that have a couple other different combinations of guys, maybe not six in the first round, but six different players have gotten at least first-round consideration in some of these uh, mock drafts. Could be interesting. Uh, I if, think if there's they, a if chance, they get there. Kev. I think there's a chance. Um, and you mentioned the guys. I've seen a half dozen players in in different mock drafts. Not necessarily guys all in the same one. But Nicobe Dean, I've seen as a first round pick. Trevon Walker, I've seen as a first round pick. Jordan Davis, I've seen as a first round pick. Devontae Wyatt, I've seen as a first-round pick. Those were the four that Todd McShay had. Lewis Seen, I've seen as a first-round pick. And George Pickens, in some recent mock drafts, I've seen as a first-round pick. That's six guys right there. And then, you know, maybe, who knows, you could have you could have a, a dozen-plus drafted. You think about Darion Kendrick, could he, 
you know, maybe maybe potentially move up. You think about Jamari Sawyer. I mean, there are, there are a lot of players. Channing Tindall, could he be a guy? Quay Walker, uh, theoretically, that could one or two of these players go a little higher than some of the projections have them right now? I think that's a possibility. Only two teams ever, like you said, Kev, have had six first-round picks, and you're talking about all-time teams, 2021 Alabama and 2004 Miami. I think there's a chance, and it just goes to show, you know, I've heard people say, yeah, you know, the talent level, Georgia's getting close to that. No, Georgia is there. Georgia is there with Alabama. Georgia is there with Ohio State, and, and, and probably it's just Alabama uh, that's, that's been the, you know, tip-top of the standard, but Georgia's absolutely there, and the the draft totals reflect that. Again, I, I, I think overall you could have as many as a dozen, 12, 13. I mean, how many guys do you have? Invited to the combine, what fourteen or fifteen players invited to the combine? But it's amazing too to look at just this defense. I mean, if you have Dean Walker, Davis, Wyatt, seen, that's five off the same defense. And then, as you referenced in the opening segment, Jermaine Johnson was at Georgia too, and he's being talked about as a lock for a first round pick, and he ended up transferring to Florida State. But this has been uh, just further affirmation and validation of how incredibly dominant. Georgia's defense has been, how incredibly talented this roster is, how incredibly talented this defense is. And, you know, what you like to see if you're a program is obviously national championships, and, and Georgia's done that. But you like to see the NFL draft reflect the recruiting rankings, right? If you're dominating in the recruiting rankings and you're bringing in. Well, that means three, you're developing. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. That's the point I'm getting to. You're bringing in top five classes, top three classes, maybe the number one class some years. Well, you would think, and it's not an exact science, a lot of factors go into it, but you would think you would have a number of guys selected in the NFL draft at the very top. And George is doing that. And this may be the ultimate example. So I think it's a great sign for the program. If you're a student athlete, if you're a recruit, and you're looking around going, I want to go and play where I can get to the league especially in the front seven defensively, yeah. I want to go and play where I can get to the league. Look at the NFL draft. And it's crazy. I mean, just, just, just think about the defensive line alone. Trevon Walker, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt. And if you go to next year, I think Nolan Smith's going to be a very high pick, edge rusher uh, next year. But I think you look at uh, uh, um, Jalen Carter is going to be a top pick next year, going to be a first-round pick. So you're only going to have more of this moving forward. But do I think Georgia – possibly could get to that six uh, total and be the third team with six first-round picks? Yes, I think they could. And again, there's a lot of, hey, that team was the best in college football by far. I'm going to get as much talent uh, out of there as we as we possibly can. And again, I think to get six in the first round, so much has to happen. Uh, BJ, as you know, if all of a sudden there's a run on quarterbacks, sure. that changes the dynamic. If there's a run on tackles, offensive tackles, that changes the dynamic. So there's so many things that happen. Uh, over the course of a uh, one round of the draft, that kind of changes. And we see it more in the first round where you start seeing, like, there's one receiver off the board, there's two, and teams are going, uh-oh, we're all of a sudden getting down to our fourth, fifth best option, potentially, and wide receiver, I'm going to go ahead and grab one. Or I'm going to go ahead and get the guy I want now. Uh, that's my top D tackle on the board. So, you know, it could favor uh, certain guys for Georgia, but also might slide some guys who are right there on the edge into the top of that second round, which is to say, hey, sorry you didn't get six. You had six of the top 40 picks. Who do you it think still goes, means you're a beast. Who do you I mean, think goes first of all these guys that are being talked about as first-round picks? Because I, I, I have a guy, that, that, but I want to see who you think is going to go first. I, I feel like from a straight evaluation standpoint, uh, Jordan Davis is very good, and people don't want to admit that. 
Uh, this, but I think he probably cost himself some some spots in the SEC championship game where people said, okay, he really is kind of a two-down potential guy. Maybe he gets some has some uh, you know fatigue issues, which I'm not saying it's not. We saw Aaron Donald come off, but we're also talking about, I'm going to use a first-round pick on this guy. I need to be sure. So he makes a lot of But I, I heard all year, and this is from – Georgia fans who, again, they're not college football experts or, you know, insiders, but they watch their team each and every week who said, Nicobe Dean's the best guy on that defense. That's what I, that's what I Dean's is. the best guy on this defense. He's the best athlete. He's the best. And so I feel like that's going to be what comes to the top. We see Todd McShay has him going first in his mock draft of the Georgia guys. I feel like Nicobe Dean, because he's a guy that, depending on team, might fit in a different spot. You know what I mean? He might be in a, used differently. So I think uh, he has several options there in the first round where, where teams are really look at his versatility and be like, and yeah, normally, that's, my, that's, that's the guy. And, and, and normally to go in the top 10 or the top 15 as a, I guess, non-pass rushing linebacker in terms sure. of that's the totality of what you do, you have to be a superstar, and, and Dean is. I, yeah. I think, what, Roquan Smith was in the, was in the top 10 and the top 12, uh, somewhere in that range. You think about guys like Isaiah Simmons, you want to go back to Patrick Willis or Luke Keekley? I mean, you see players. And those guys that, were extra right, dynamic. Uh, yeah. uh, Devin White, the draft that Ben and I went to, Devin White, I think, went in the top five, top six or seven uh, off the top of my head. And I think Nicobe Dean is in that mold. I would, I would not be surprised if he goes in the top 10. And he's earned that. Uh, can rush the passer, can obviously impact games in coverage, is the leader of a defense, is an every down player, is an every set of circumstances player. Uh, just incredibly instinctive, incredibly smart, incredibly athletic, everything you want from a guy that's setting the tone in the middle of your defense. I, I do think Jordan Davis is going to have to be the right scheme fit, as we talked about a couple yeah. of weeks ago with Ben. Uh, he is a true nose guard. So I don't think you're going to see him go to a team that runs a 4-3. I think he's going to go to a team that runs a 3-4 and be that man in the middle. And that probably doesn't mean you're on the field every play uh, uh, you know, in a game defensively, just – obvious passing situations, maybe you come off, but I still think there's obvious first-round value there. I mean, what Davis does, demanding attention at the line of scrimmage is, is unparalleled. I think Trevon Walker, you go back to that word versatility, Kevin, can play inside. I think he's a guy that's scheme versatile along the front. Can play 3-4, can play 4-3, odd even, can play tackle, can play end. Uh, I think he's going to go in the first round. I've seen, and I love the mock drafts, uh, I, Cam, uh, me, you, Cody, we all, you know, <laughs> we love the mock drafts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The mock drafts, man, uh, they, they're they fun to watch. And sometimes, who knows, but you can kind of get a sense, at least momentum-wise, for who's climbing up the charts. Uh, and I, I think Devontae Wyatt is a guy that I've seen move up in some of the recent rounds, right? Like, every couple of weeks, people put out new mock drafts or new updated big boards, and I've seen Devontae Wyatt become more and more of a featured name. So maybe a month or two ago, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I saw him in the first round a ton, but you see that now, and he's in McShay's first round there at 28. Absolutely, and again, uh, we'll get about three or four or five more mock drafts from Todd McShay once we get through free agency. That changes team needs, uh, and certainly the combine. That'll change the way some guys are evaluated in this process. So early on, though, looks like a lot of Georgia guys, as we thought, Getting a lot of first-round attention in this draft. We'll come back. Chris Vanini covers the uh, group of five for The Athletic. Boy, it is interesting there between Conference USA and the Sun Belt. Will the Sun Belt have Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Myths July 1, like those schools say? We'll talk to Chris Vanini when we return. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio. Back here 3 and Out on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, glad you're with us. 
Boy, I love pettiness in in sports, and Conference USA might be leading the way uh, in it right now. Marshall, Old Dominion, Southern Miss say they're leaving. Conference USA says, no, no you're not. And uh, joining us here from The Athletic covers uh, college football, Chris Vanini, uh, joining us here on 3 and Out. Chris, welcome to the show. How are you? I am doing well. Thanks for having me. All right, so this is obviously very much you know days of our lives, and as the world turns here, so Conference USA trying everything they can to uh, to keep those three schools at least around for another year. Those schools say, Look, "We already told you we're leaving." Uh, how nasty is this going to get before we even get to uh, to July one? Uh, it's gotten pretty nasty. It's a public legal fight now, and you know the schools told Conference USA back in December that they wanted to leave this summer. But the Conference USA bylaws say you got to give us 14 months' notice before you can go. And the league believes it has a strong legal case and has not really engaged in any conversations with the school about negotiating anything earlier than that. And so on Friday, the schools announced that, hey, we're, we're leaving. Like, but we're leaving. And so Conference USA responded by a schedule that includes the teams. And so now it'll, the lawyers will handle it out, and billable hours remain undefeated. <laughs> so you have a league-wide schedule released for this fall that has Marshall, Southern Miss, and Old Dominion. I mean, is that something that is just easy to fix and kind of recreate? I mean, what? how does that play into all this? Is that kind of a, a PR thing to kind of say you are going to play this fall? What was kind of your take on releasing a schedule with this as the backdrop? Well, I think it's part of a legal strategy, which is to say, you know, if you leave the conference early, these are the damages that you're inflicting on the conference. And if it's an arbitrator or whoever decides this stuff, that's part of the decision. Um, They actually sent the schedule to the schools Friday, right when they released the statement. So that all kind of happened at the same time, and it was kind of a legal strategy for the future case that they're going to make. Chris Vanini, The Athletic, uh, joining us. I know the Sun Belt hasn't released a schedule as of yet. They are expected to do so in the in the coming weeks, uh, Chris. When that happens, do you fully expect the Sun Belt, who's basically just on the receiving end of this, hey, we're expecting them to come. Are they going to have Marshall, Old Dominion, and, uh, and Southern Miss in their schedule release? Well, they may have to wait to see what happens with Conference USA first. They have different scheduling options, some of them that include those schools, some of them that don't. They plan for it, which is what they typically do. But if this Conference USA thing, this legal fight drags on, they may wait. They, they, they may wait till that's resolved. But if it drags on too much, they may close the door and say, like, hey, we got to get moving now. Come back next year. Because right now is when schools are scheduling the travel for next year. you got to book your charter flights right now for all your football trips and stuff like that. And the prices of those are going up. You know, there's less availability because of COVID and stuff like that. So this can't. This isn't something where, like, it's going to drag into the summer before a decision because these teams got to make their decisions pretty soon. No, I, it kind of seems like at first glance a disagreement that's happening in the abstract. But when you – Reference it like that. You're having to travel. You're having to talk about flights and hotels and schedules and media contracts potentially, and uh, you know, just just organizational functioning. How how tricky is this to 
get it addressed, get it addressed with clarity, and get it addressed with clarity soon. It, it's very difficult, and people in Conference USA are frustrated about it because, you know, they, they need to make those plans. Coaches need to figure out who they're going to prepare for in spring football and stuff like that. So everybody's just kind of waiting now, and now that this is public, it, it may speed up the process. Everybody's hoping it'll go quicker now, but nobody quite knows where it'll go. I, I, I've talked to people who are pretty confident in Conference USA's side of it. I've talked to people who think, nah, there's no way they're, they're not going to leave and, and they will be in the Sun Belt, but we don't really know until it happens. There's been a lot of kind of reporting that hey, these schools are gone. They're joining the Sun Belt for 2022. There's been some, some erroneous reports over the past couple of weeks. It's not the case yet, and it's not the case until it's done, and we don't know when that's going to be. Chris, obviously this seems like a, uh, a, a breakup that is headed for the worst uh, amongst these three teams. I mean, this, this doesn't seem like it's, it's going to end well. I mean, obviously the Big 12 is mad that you know Texas and Oklahoma are going to bolt uh, for, for the SEC. What's the strategy, other than to try to get money out of them, obviously, uh, on the exit fee, to try to make three schools that are pretty blatantly obvious don't want to be there, make them stay and be a part of your conference for another year when potentially they could cause nothing but problems for you. The, the concern for Conference USA is stuff like, you know, they have X number of games promised to ESPN and, and media partners and stuff like that through their media rights deals. And if these schools leave, they have fewer games. So maybe the media rights people say, hey, you, you know, we're giving you less money. And that's the kind of thing that Conference USA is standing firm on is they don't want to lose that money. They don't want to set the precedent where you can announce your, announce your leaving and be gone in six months. Um, that, that's another factor in it as well. So there are some short-term and some long-term principles that Conference USA is fighting for here, even as uh, – as everything is. I mean, right now they have 14 schools in the conference. Nine of them are going to be gone in a few years. So you really only have five members that are, you only have five voting members right now on some of these issues. So it, it, the whole situation in Conference USA is a bit complicated. From the Sun Belt's perspective, are they able to do anything, say anything, or is the Sun Belt kind of just waiting to see how all of this plays out? And then once there's a resolution with Conference USA and these three specific members, they can they can plan accordingly. They are just waiting. I mean, they were not involved in the statements released by the schools. They, they legally can't. I mean, you can't be torture. You can't be interfering with with another conference's move. So they simply have been waiting. They they had been confident that the schools would be able to get out, but that's not happening until it's happening. I don't think anybody really saw it getting to this point. So they're just. They're just sitting back and waiting right now. And, 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 and you know, if, they, if those schools join the Sun Belt next year, they're not going to get revenue from the conference. So they're not going to get money either way. It's not a money move that these schools are doing. It's just, hey, everybody's excited about going to the Sun Belt, all of our fans and all of our donors. Let's get that. Let's speed that up. Let's get to that finish line. And as you said, Chris, sounds like legally maybe not, but is, if this thing drags out, is there any chance – any chance at all that the Sun Belt puts out a schedule with those teams on it before it's resolved and those schools say, you know what, we told you we weren't playing, we're not doing it, we're, we're playing the schedule the Sun Belt gave us? 
I do not think the Sun Belt is going to release the schedule with those teams until everything is resolved with Conference USA. Um, they, they, they can't be seen in any way as uh, pushing for something like that to happen or pressuring for something like that to happen. Uh, they just simply have to wait until those schools break free. So I, they, they, the Sun Belt has declined comment throughout all of this. I don't expect them to make a comment. I don't expect them to put them on the schedule uh, if that Conference USA situation has not been resolved. Do you have a sense, Chris, for a timeline? And uh, at least when you look at what we know, do you have a feel for maybe who has the stronger argument in this disagreement? I, I, I don't know. I, I have talked to people on sides who think it's a really, really strong case for Conference USA. I've talked to others who think, nah, they'll let the schools out. Um, I do not know the timeline. It's going to be uh, potentially an arbitrator deciding some of this stuff. I don't really know the timeline. I'm not a lawyer to understand how some of that stuff works. So I'm mostly just waiting and talking to people and kind of figuring out what they think. And as of today and yesterday, nobody really seemed to know what the timeline is or what the result could be. Chris Fanini, The Athletic, joining us here on 3 Now. Chris, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yep, thanks for having me. Chris Vanini, The Athletic, covers college football uh, for The Athletic. And again, this is uh, messy. Uh, BJSE said it probably in the in, in the best way there where are they allowed out of the conference? If you're the Sun Belt, again, at some point you have to release a conference schedule. And you have to be prepared to move forward without them. But obviously but everybody but, but, everybody on, knows that they're going to join at some point. I understand, but but it's like Chris said. You can't, the Sun yeah. Belt can't create a schedule with these teams. The, these teams are... Even by their own statement of "I'm leaving," they're in the conference until June 30th. They are in Conference USA until, according to what and, they say, yeah, yeah. And 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 then they are saying, on July 1st, we are no longer in the conference. And I guess the Conference USA is saying, "Yes, you are," and we believe we feel like we have <laughs> a contract or whatever. I mean, I who knows? And I don't know. I think kind of what Chris said is is where this is most confusing. How do you prepare for a season logistically? Right, and I'm not just talking about the the stuff that immediately comes to mind, like oh, you have to get a hotel, you have to get a flight, but you have to, you know, submit budget requests for going out of town. You have to itemize everything out. You have to, like Chris said, in in, in spring, you're probably spending at least a couple of practices on some of the teams you feel like you're playing. Who are you playing? Uh, could you have a schedule that changes in six months? Could you have a schedule that? Changes in three months. I mean, this is a lot to try to process, and I think the word you're using is right. It's 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 messy. And uh, at some point, we know Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss to go along with James Madison. They don't want to well, be there, yeah. But no, but but at some point, they're yeah. going to be in the Sun Belt. Yeah. And that was an, another very interesting good point Chris made. Even if they're in the Sun Belt this year, they are not a part of Sun Belt and, revenue sharing and I, this year. And I think that's the part of it where you would say, well, why do they care? They want to speed that process up, right? Why did James Madison say, we want to get in now? Because they can't win the conference. They're not eligible for, to win any conference championships. Let's just go ahead and get it over with. Kind of like what Georgia Southern did when they did it. Like, look, we realize we can't win it. Let's just go ahead and do it and, and get and get the ball rolling so that we can become a full-fledged member faster. And I'm sure that's why uh, uh, these schools want to do it, BJ, because it's like, hey, are we going to play a lame duck season in all of our sports, in well, yeah, Conference right, USA, right. and then have to go play lame duck seasons. I say, I mean, you can still, but play a lame but duck it, season. Be a sense of delaying the inevitable. Right, you're going to play a lame duck season 
in 2023 in Conference USA or, or Sun Belt where you can't win anything there? Or can we just do it now and then in 2023 we're a full member of the Sun Belt and we can move and at forward? at some point in the near future, you are going to have a 14-team yeah. Sun Belt right. with the two teams or the 10 teams, excuse me, that you currently have right. with Marshall, Old Dominion, Southern Miss, and James Madison. And James Madison's already James in. James Madison yeah. is, is, is here. Hello, James Madison. July, July yeah. 1, they're already set up. And yeah. Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss believe that that is going to be what happens. I right. guess Conference USA, who they are currently a part of, trying to kind of summarize all this for myself, Yeah, th- th- they're saying no. And what does that mean for 2022, not just with football, right. not just with football, but travel for all sports, all of your student athletes, the, the logistics and the organization that's required for all of those sports to function. So yeah. this is a big deal, and, and I don't know how it's – I mean, I, do you have a sense for kind of – what? No, I mean, who has a better argument? I, or? I don't know. I mean, and, and again, it's one of those things. They don't want to be there. You want them to stay. And, and you only want them to stay for a couple of reasons. It's all about money. Obviously, as he said, you have contracts with TV partners and all that. I mean, if I'm those three schools, I'm calling the league office and saying, what's the number? We do not want to be here. We want to go to the Sun Belt July 1st. We're not. We, we're leaving. What's the number to get you to go away? And sometimes that's what it comes down to. If that number's too high, maybe you have to go negotiate that. But I think that potentially is what it comes to. As simple as that. How much money will it take to get you to get off our back so we can just leave? Uh, and who knows what that is? Who knows what that is? Uh, and, and again, we had that with A&M and uh, Missouri, leaving the Big 12 to come to the SEC. How much money is it going to take for us just to get out of here and, and leave you? And, and they paid it, paid the exit fee, and and away they went. So uh, I, I think the interesting see, but it seems like both sides are pretty adamant, like, hey, I'm not paying you, Jack. We're, le- we're leaving. See ya. And legally, I don't know if they could do that. I, again, it's going to be messy. I, I'm interested to see what the level of petty is. Like, what if Marshall is playing Southern Miss for the Conference USA Championship? They're already agreeing to run to leave, and they're having to play each other. Do you just have a wink, wink, let's not play the game? To stick it to Conference you USA, I'm just you don't, you don't want that, but I'm just saying. But I mean that that's the level of petty it could reach uh, if if they're making you stay. We've got more to come here. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Back here, three and out on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, glad to have you here on three and out. We're streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And uh, good to have you. A lot coming up in our number two. We'll, of course, uh, take three. We'll hear from Kylie McDaniel. He's got the uh, ESPN Top 100 MLB prospects, and they'll get to play. Nobody else is going to get to uh, for the short term. At the very least, uh, BJ is MLB still furthering on their lockout as pitchers and catchers uh, around the league were set to be fully back as of today. That didn't happen. So Kylie McDaniel going to join us coming up next hour. We'll talk about all of that, including some Braves prospects who are on the list and some who have very much fallen off of that list. So looking forward to that. Coming up this weekend, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were involved with the uh, big Stetson Bennett Parade there in Blackshear. Coming up this weekend, you got the Golden Isles Bulldog Parade, Howard Coffin Park, and from Howard Coffin Park to Mary Ross Waterfront Park. They're celebrating Warren McClendon, former Brunswick High Pirate, Jack Pudlesny, uh, former Glen Academy Red Terror, and a host of uh, local Georgia Redcoat marching band uh, members. So uh, one from uh, each high school there, obviously both very instrumental in Georgia bringing home that first title. Oh, great players. Great players. Had great seasons, uh, so looking forward to that coming up this weekend. We'll come back, take three around the corner. Kylie McDaniel next hour 
as well. It's three now at Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hour two here on this Wednesday. Kevin BJ, a lot to get to. Kylie McDaniel will join us, ESPN MLB Insider. And he's got the top 100 MLB prospects out. Minor league baseball players can keep going about their business. There's still going to be a minor league season. Uh, just Major League Baseball and the MLB uh, Players Association got to get their stuff together and uh, make it happen. So he'll join us coming up in about uh, 15 minutes here on the program. We'll look at the NFL power rankings. Could a couple of our teams here be really that bad? We'll get to that coming up. Well, I, think, in just a, I think one we pretty much know. I mean, they, they have the number one overall pick. For you the think second. they could be that bad, though? I, I mean, I... I hope not, but <laughs> did you see a lot of progress from the, this this past year to this year? They would win more games. I guess. <laughs> we, we'll get to that coming up in uh, just a little bit as well. But first, let's take three here on three and out. All right, BJ, number one, 2023, I should say class of 2023 prospect, Arch Manning, now considering both Florida and LSU in addition to Bama, Georgia, Ole Miss, and Texas. Who do you think is the early frontrunner for Arch Cooper's son? Yeah, you know, if you think Ole Miss just because of the you know the family there, but I, te- something about Texas, though. Something about Texas, potentially, you know, Peyton went to Tennessee, did his own thing there. Uh, I think Ole Miss is probably the favorite. I know a lot of Georgia fans, you know, you had the signs at the the games, and a lot of Georgia fans feel like a possibility. I know a lot of Florida fans on Twitter excited today that they're potentially, reportedly, uh, in the mix now. Yeah. But in Texas, starting quarterback at the University of Texas, it could be a little different. I do think Ole Miss is probably number one, but could could Texas be kind of that sneaky, that sneaky team? Uh, Maybe. I mean, coming into the SEC, Arch Manning's not sitting. I know that. Sorry, Georgia fans. I mean. You have two five-stars sitting there on the roster. Arch Manning is the number one quarterback. If he comes in, that might mean a couple other other guys uh, leave the program. I don't think it's Georgia. And again, it's just a matter of, does he have like the Peyton mentality of, I'm not going to go to Ole Miss because there's literally a street with a speed limit named after my granddad. My uncle just got his, his number retired in the Raptors as Ben would say. So unless you don't want to go with all that, I still think it's Ole Miss. I I, I, I think there's just part of that legacy. If you go the if you go the Peyton route and say, I want to go somewhere, make my own name, make my own legacy, uh, there's plenty of legacy at Bama. LSU could be interesting because they're from New Orleans. Florida would be interesting. Uh, and apparently, because it's kind of off and, the beaten path. And LSU there, yeah. are the two new teams yeah. that are being considered. Texas would be interesting. Uh, I, I, my gut would be like LSU might be one, just because it's you're right there in state, and it's you have a chance to go kind of make your own legacy of it, uh, if you will. And again, you could say, well, man, this NIL money, my dude, like his last name is Manning. It doesn't matter where, uh, literally. Right? Would you agree with that? Like, it doesn't matter where Arch Manning yeah, it's, goes it's, to school. It's Arch Manning. His NIL is going to be ridiculous. Like, whether he goes to any of those schools, I mean, I think he could go to Southern Miss and he's going to get a huge. Your last name is Manning and you play quarterback. So I, I will say LSU, but I really think it's Ole Miss uh, is where it'll end up. Take two ESPN ranks Devontae Adams as the top NFL free agent. Where does he sign? 
Uh, and I know a lot of Jaguars fans say, hey, we have a ton of money to spend in a young quarterback. <laughs> well, I think I think Devontae Adams wants to win. Yes. I think, I think Devontae Adams wants to uh, have a run at a championship, and that's probably not going to happen right away in Jacksonville. I'd probably re-sign with, with Green Bay if Rodgers comes back. If Rodgers does not come back, I don't I don't think I don't think Devontae Adams re-signs with the Packers because if you lose Rodgers, you're probably rebuild you know, you have Jordan Love and with all due respect, you're probably rebuilding a little bit, retooling a little bit. And I think Devontae Adams, you're one of the 10, 15 best players in the league. You want a chance to go play and win now and win a championship now. Uh I, I keep an eye on Kansas City. I know have read some reports saying, look, Kansas City still wants more playmakers. Uh, Pat Mahomes, you're going to build around him and what he can do. Now, you're already paying Pat Mahomes a half billion dollars, but I think I think Devontae Adams in Kansas City could be a possibility and what an offense it already is, what an offense that would be. But if it looks like what there were reports, right, Green Bay's going all in apparently uh, on, uh, on uh, Aaron Rodgers, going to do whatever they can to try to get him to stay. If he stays, maybe Devontae Adams says, look, we can do this. A few more pieces. I mean, we've been close. We've been right there. A few more pieces we can get over the hump. There's no Tom Brady in the NFC anymore uh, with Tampa Bay, so maybe Green Bay remains the favorite. Atlanta would be nice. I know they're in salary cap. Well, I understand that. Yeah, and again, I think that is the uh, the end-all, be-all for guys who haven't won one. Uh, if you've won the Super Bowl, BJ, then it becomes like, fine, I'll just take the cheese, right? Like, I've got the Super Bowl. Just who's going to give me the most money? I think if Aaron Rodgers stays, he'll stay in Green Bay. I think uh, that's a good take. If not, maybe, well, I know they got problems with Arizona. I think an NFC team makes sense Depends because, again, on there's what happens with the quarterback. I think, again, NFC teams make sense right now because in the AFC, you just look at the number of just really, really good teams. The path to me getting to a Super Bowl right now much easier in the NFC than running the gauntlet year in, year out in the AFC. Take three. I'm, you asked this because I feel weird, like asking a question about myself. What just is, being, just being honest. What is Kevin's feel for the MLB lockdown today? I guess we're going to do a daily. Kind oh, we'll of try check to do a daily you. one. Okay, today my feel is nobody's feeling the hurt, and you still have an opportunity to get a deal done to start on time. I, mean, I, I think at the end, one sixty-two, full one sixty-two. Yes, right now I feel like even if they have to. Move it back a few days, maybe play one or two scheduled doubleheaders. They'll get it in. That's my feeling today. Now, I think both sides need to meet more. They need to be, meet more often. Need to meet for longer uh, than what they've done. But again, there hasn't really been an impetus uh, to do that because there's not a... Uh, again, where have been the milestones to make them have to get a deal done? You're getting closer to some of those and say, look, if you want to get paid... And and by say get paid, I mean owners, players. If you want to get paid anything, you need to come to some sort of agreement. And again, you're talking about just Liberty Media. A million dollars profit a home game times 81. I mean, that's pretty simple math. Start canceling those things. Uh, Are you still paying your staff, right? You're still paying your... Maybe stadium staff doesn't get paid. But I'm sure you're still paying the grounds crew because you have to keep it... You can't just let it go. And say, hey, you got two weeks to get it back into playable shape. Uh, so, not as much impetus for them. Certainly, the players want to, but I think in the next couple of weeks, somebody's going to concede something that kind of stems the tide towards getting a deal done. And 
and say, look, we conceded. Now, now, now you need to, to, to give on something. And let's get this thing done. Right now, there's no grown-ups in the room. Uh, everybody's being petty. Everybody is uh, saying, look, they're not willing to do this. They're not willing to do that, pointing the finger. But this is what I'm asking. But right now, I is- feel like the impetus to play and get the games in will be a driving factor. Okay, I but, could be wrong, but, but you a- asked me how I feel about it today. Today, I feel like you're on a Wednesday. Get- it's not a driving factor, but... On a Friday, on a Monday, like well, as you get when, closer when to, the, but I think you get to like March fourteenth or fifteenth. If you don't have something done, you really start to say, "Uh oh, we're going to screw this thing up." I feel like you've got in somebody's mind. You say, "Hey, we got really two. I think, if, I think if you go that far, you're not you're not. I'm saying, but, a full but, but if you miss, I think you go down this road of we're willing to miss one game. At what point are you not willing to do this anymore? Are you willing to miss two games? But five games is too many? You willing to miss 10 games? But, like, at what point do you say we're willing to go all out and miss 80, 90, 100 games? Because what's the difference in 80 and the 90? So we're willing to not play half a season, but we're not willing to not play? I mean, and again, you're talking about guys starting to miss income. And, again, Mike Trout's fine. Freddie Freeman's fine. He doesn't even have a deal. But, I mean, Freddie Freeman's made plenty of money. Juan Soto reportedly... I mean, said before the lockout, he turned down a 13-year, $340 million contract. So somebody's got money out there. He And enough that he was willing to turn it down. But I think those mid-level guys will start putting pressure, as Ben said, on the really big guys saying, look, guys, we need to play. Yeah, I know I make a million dollars a year, but I hadn't been paid since October. It's now March going on April. And after the government gets involved, that million dollars is probably more like 500 k which most people could say, I can live off 500 k But again, BJ... You hadn't been paid in five, six months. Most people say, I can live off 500K. Yeah, that's because you're expecting that 500K to come every two weeks, uh, or at least a portion of it, and I'm getting paid just living off of it. Yeah, I can live great there. Your last paycheck, which you were living off of, wasn't 500K. It was the last of your installment of however you get paid, bi-weekly, monthly, in the season, and you have not been paid since then. And you will not get paid until the season starts. Not in the modified spring training, not... You will not get paid again until the season starts. So there will be some pain coming if they can't get a deal done. The owners probably not so much, as, as Ben's always said. It's part of their portfolio. But at some point, you cannot afford to have a, a valued asset not doing anything. Right? You can't just have the Yankees sitting over there. What good are the Yankees if there's no Yankees? I feel like in the next couple of weeks, somebody's going to concede on a point and it gets you closer to a deal. And kind of the, hey, we're grown-ups. We gave you this. You give us something. Let's get this thing done. So that's today, February 16th. That's how I'm feeling. I don't feel good about it. Uh, well, I, you don't, well, you wouldn't feel good about it if they said okay, we're well, going to get on. a deal tomorrow. They haven't said that. <laughs> I know So that. what are you feeling better, good, uh, hopeful? Just a timeline. Okay. Just a timeline. I just Again, if I know, if let's say you and I are the NFL. We just ended the season. We got to get a collective bargaining agreement done. Well, the season doesn't start till. Uh, September. Okay, but spring Am I coming to you is right now? To be happening now. I right understand now. that. And and training camp start in July in the NFL. Would I wait until July to start negotiating if we were far apart on some of these issues? Maybe knowing that hey, we get to August, start missing some preseason games, we can still probably get this thing done. Players don't care about preseason games in the National Football League. I'm probably not getting serious until it gets to point zero, and I think you're not quite there yet with Major League Baseball, unfortunately. I mean, what? at the end of the day, 
Who's losing money right now in Major League Baseball? Well, I think you said it a couple weeks ago on the show. The the spring training vendors. And- they are, but they don't. But but they aren't factored in into us and you. They're the third parties in all this. Who's losing money right now? Do teams lose money for lack of potential attendance at spring training games? I mean, it's probably like very nominal. But you're not paying. The players aren't getting paid for spring training. So. The players at this point are like, hey, we can stay in shape and be ready to go. But, but even I mean, though you're not seeing, I guess, the bank account go down right now, are you losing the opportunity cost for money by potentially alienating fans who are frustrated and then aren't going to watch, aren't going to go to games, aren't going to buy merch? I mean, do you think even the mere shadow or cloud of a lockout? Oh, that's can, bad for business, sure. Right. right. So I, even though you're not seeing the. You know, the, the, but, the but cost again, analysis right now, I think you can still be losing money. Fans maybe say, I'm frustrated there's not spring training right now, and it's just workouts. So you haven't missed any any games at spring training. And and again, people like to go do that. But again, what has been lost well, this is what I'm asking. of the do season right now? Do you think there right are now, any fans right now, any fans in the country who have already, man, if you're PO'd about wanna... not having pitchers and catchers reported, no, like, I, don't, I mean that's I don't uh, like you, that you didn't doesn't say much to set no, you off. But. I'm not saying that, that that they're mad that they didn't get the weight of uh, you know Max Freed. I'm I'm saying are they mad because this is now a baseball? You've had the cheating, you've had the steroids, sure. you've had the now you have this. And I'm you're not just saying... looking at it going. I don't have the same interest anymore because I don't want to hear about the lockout and I want Understand you to figure that. it out and get out there and play. And when is Rob Manfred? And then ever really care, or I'll say Rob Manfred specifically, ever really cared about what the fans thought. And I'm not saying that makes it good, but I do know at the end of the day, he's a business guy, and so are the owners. And not having a product is not good, right? Again, there was a time when people said, oh, they're not even going to play in COVID. Got it figured out. It wasn't really what, but at some point, everybody, there was enough public pressure to say, you guys are ridiculous. There's literally people being told they can't work because of COVID, and you guys with no fans are being told we can get and y'all can't figure out a deal there's going to be I think there's going to be pressure on people to get this thing done but you haven't got to that it's starting to hurt point because spring training games and eh, players aren't getting paid anyway veterans aren't going to care about that we can get ready when are you going to start feeling it when you miss game checks when are owners going to start feeling it what little bit they do when the TV revenue doesn't show up when the gate receipts for 81 home games starts being missed. And you say, every time we missed a supposed home game, million bucks we're not making. Million bucks we're not making. Okay, that's something they understand on a balance sheet, and you go enough days missing that, that's something that'll scare you a little bit. So, again, I'm saying this today. You're probably a month out from where you really are like, okay, you obviously logistically have to look at, you're not starting on March 31st. But we're not there yet. So there hasn't been the go-get-it-done moment. I think it's coming. I think if you aren't in substantial talks in the next two weeks by March 1st and hammer it out by March 15th, yeah, then I'll have a different story. But here, February 16th, that's where I am today. Good enough, fair enough. I know, PJ, again, I know you were thinking the whole season is screwed back in December when they met for 20 minutes. I'm concerned. I mean, the last thing we heard was, we're going to get an arbiter. Nope, no, we're not. We're going to sit down. Nope, no, we're not. As you said yesterday on the show, or maybe whatever day it was. There's no adults in the room right now. There's not been a serious, a real meeting yet. And for, for the reasons I just said, they don't have to. They need to. But I think baseball's dumb enough they, they, they not to get out of the, they can't get out of their own way. You have an exciting product. You literally are in prime years of maybe one of the most exciting players 
in your sport. Not talking about Mike Trout. I'm talking about Shohei Otani. Global appeal, Shohei Otani. It does you no good if he's not playing. Right? If he's not even... And I'm not saying, what if he gets hurt? No. He can't play because you're telling him he can't play. Mike Trout can't play. This was going to be the spring reemergence of Ronald Acuna. Can't see him. Ronald Acuna can't... Can't see him. He's got global appeal. Juan Soto, mass appeal. Can't see him if he's sitting at the house. Somebody, and again, these are all things that grow your game. I know there's big money issues, but you don't see the NBA doing this. NBA had their squabbles. They figured it out. NBA didn't have a lockout. Adam Silver said, you know what? We're all getting paid. We're all making money. There's another, We can do this so that we all get paid. That's take three. We'll come back. Kylie McDaniel going to join us when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Be here on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett. Glad you're making us a part of your day. No Major League Baseball to talk about uh, today because, uh, well, they're still uh, getting locked out uh, and have not really come to the table for negotiations. But our next guest, he put out uh, the top 100 MLB prospects uh, there for ESPN. ESPN Baseball Insider Kylie McDaniel joins us here on three and out. Kylie, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me, especially with that uh, that lead-in DRE. <laughs> but hey, look, it is uh, it's a weird time for Major League Baseball because the players and owners aren't. I mean, I guess they're talking, but they aren't really. But minor league baseball is still going to happen, correct? I mean, you're still going to have prospects out there getting it done. Uh, what does that do for development? I, and we and I bring that specifically up for. Uh, your top 100 list, where we've seen guys like Christian Pache for the Braves, was once one of the top, what, 10 prospects in baseball. You didn't have him in your, your top 100. How much has his growth been stunted by no minor leagues during COVID and kind of the up-down ride he's been on with the big club and minor leagues the last couple of years? Yeah, I would say if, if we could break down why exactly things haven't clicked for him at the plate, uh, it, it's been, you know, A, not everybody, you know, when you're top prospect, they think all those adjustments that need to be made will be made immediately. And if you are going to be a superstar, then usually they are. So, you know, th- those have just been a little slower coming than normal. But also, yeah, the shuttle back and forth, uh, knocking a lot of playing time when he's in the big leagues, being used as a bench player, uh, and then, yeah, missing, missing time around the, the pandemic season, it makes it really difficult. I don't know if he's ever going to fully figure it out. All the tools are still there. Uh, I've joked before that if he grew up in the States, he would have been a wide receiver at LSU because he's like that kind of dynamic athlete. And he has all the tools to hit. He's like showed it basically all the way through AAA. And every now and then there's guys that just do it in AAA, have the tools to do it in the big leagues and just don't do it. So like those odds go up by the day that he doesn't do it. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd like to think he's still going to figure it out. I would still think that he'll figure it out. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe he ended up being like 105 in my process. So he missed the list, but he just barely missed the list. The highest ranked uh, Braves prospect you have is outfielder Michael Harris coming in at number 38. Tell us about him. Yeah, he's really exciting. Uh, so he went in the third round out of high school, and I seen a little bit uh, during the end of the showcase season. He popped up as both a hitter and pitcher uh, that was so late in the process, he wasn't uh, committed to one of the big SEC schools you would think a kid from Atlanta would be, uh, from Stockbridge High School. Uh, and then when it came time for the draft, he was actually in the same group as Austin Riley and that a lot of teams thought he was better as a pitcher, but the Braves liked him as a hitter. And the Braves were actually lined up to take him in the fourth round, but then the guy they were going to take in the third round got taken. So like, well, we were going to take Harris in the fourth. I guess we'll just take him here and cut his bonus and pay him a fourth-round bonus. And even they were surprised, like, how quickly everything came together. I mean, he's got a chance to be above-average hitter for average, above-average hitter for power, above-average center fielder. He's a plus runner. Uh, He went to high A as a 20-year-old and performed well. He's passed a lot of first-round picks in his class. 
and he was, like I said, about to be a fourth-round pick, went in the third round. Um, so he's, like, really killed expectations, and the only real issue here, why well, he isn't, I have him 38th on the list, he easily could have been 18th or 20th or somewhere in that area. Uh, the issue is he has the power to hit home runs and to be a power threat, and he hits the ball hard, but he had some trouble early in the season swinging at too many pitches, which slowly got better throughout the year, and he hits the ball on the ground too much. And I think a lot of fans look at what's happening with too many strikeouts and home runs, everyone's trying to lift the ball, that whole thing. I tend to agree with you. I think it goes a little bit far, uh, but that's also how players are getting paid. You hit home runs, you get paid. Certain players, it is what they should be doing. They have enough raw power to hit 25 homers, you should put the ball in the air. He is one of those guys and just hasn't put it in the air yet. If he can make that adjustment, then he'll be one of the top 15, 20 prospects in baseball. Uh, Kylie, is he a guy that could be hurt uh, if this lockout situation drags on? Because uh, was there a thought that even with potential DH and, and things of that nature that he had a shot to make the team? No, I think he probably needs another year to play. Like, if he is as good as I think he can be and is one of those top 10, 15, 20 prospects in baseball, he'll spend this entire season at AA and AAA, and then he'll be ready for 23. So he's just below that level, I think, where this could really hurt him and, like, rob him up some big league at-bats because I think he'll need the whole 22 season in the minors. But, yeah, 23, I think, is a reasonable time for him to be a big leaguer. Then the other uh, Braves prospect on the list, uh, catcher Shea Langoliers. What did the Braves have uh, with this young catcher? So he had a hand injury in his draft year out of Baylor and came back very quickly from it, which, you know, a lot of scouts get excited when they, you know, like a catcher. He's got all those intangibles you need behind the plate. He can really catch and throw. He had raw power, but he came back quickly from a hand injury, and so he didn't show a lot of raw power, but he could hit. Uh, he is slowly, over the last couple of years, he was a top 10 pick. Uh, that power has come back and come back in a big way. He's now more of a 25 homers, hits 240, 250, above average defender, potentially, uh, kind of guy. He got to AAA last year, and he's not on the 40-man roster, so I don't think he's a threat to play in the first half of the season. Uh, but I think in the second half, he's got a real shot. Um, and But then you also look at the Braves' big league roster, and they you know filled out that catching position with Travis Darno and Manny Pena. Um, so there's not like a, and then you also have Wilson, uh, sorry, William Contreras floating around up there. It's also on the 40 man. So while he may be close to big league ready, uh, for some teams in some situations by the second half of the season, because he's not on the 40 man, they've got also Chadwick Trump, another catcher on the 40 man. Uh, he's kind of blocked right now. So I had the expectation that he's maybe a September guy at best. Uh, but yeah, he's sort of knocking on the door in terms of being big league ready, even if this year's probably not his year. Kylie McDaniel, the ESPN MLB insider, joining us. Uh, we kind of talked about Pache, and uh, what about a guy like Drew Waters to go along with him, where these were two guys that were really high on the list, both not in the top 100. Are you just seeing a situation where maybe they've crested or they've not, they've not just kicked that second gear, and maybe is their peak uh, maybe uh, potential? I, I'm not saying they can't make the ma uh, major leagues, but maybe that peak where their potential is headed, has that kind of leveled off? Yeah, I'd say they both lost their luster a bit. They both got to AAA very young. as basically the age of uh, the college juniors that go in the draft. So you think the difference between the SEC and AAA is massive. I mean, it is like usually takes you know good players three years to make up that gap. So they were way ahead of the game. Both center fielders both have offensive potential as both hitting, hitting for power, and playing good center field defense. And now they're both uh, 23. Uh, I have in front of me now. Pache was 105, so very close. Waters is one tier below those guys and like the one – 135, 150 area. Um, and, yeah, Waters, uh, he has the same issue we've seen with some other guys, which is he swings a lot, 
certain guys, you know, like Ichiro and Vlad Sr., these guys can swing a lot, and it doesn't matter if you were, like, incredibly gifted. And Waters is a little below that level. He's not, like, slam dunk Hall of Fame incredibly gifted. He's, like, you know, maybe make some all-star teams incredibly gifted, which is, you know, pretty subtle difference to the average person. But uh, in this range of evaluating players who can get away with having below-average pit selection, he's not quite talented enough to do that. So the question is then, does he figure out a way to make this work? Uh, or does he figure out how to uh, improve that pitch selection, which typically is not a skill that is easy to fix later in careers. It just kind of is what it is once you get to a certain age. So the question now with both him and Pache is, they both play center field. They can both put the ball in play. They're both, you know, they're both offering something both offensively and defensively. What does it actually end up being? And I would say in terms of for the top 100, there are so many of these players now where they go in the first or second round or sign for a couple million dollars out of the international realm, and they basically just follow that linear progression where every year they go to a next level, one year older, continue performing, tools get a little bit better. There's so many of these guys that are on that trajectory that you can put up there that when these guys get to AAA, get to the big leagues, don't perform, get stuck in AAA, kind of lose their luster, it's very easy to move them down. And the real tricky part in my position is some of these guys work out. Some of them go to the big leagues and aren't good for a year, and then they come back and they figure it out and they're who they were, and you moved them down 90 spots on your list, and it seems like you, you know, panic too quickly. Um, but ultimately, the way to really line these up is line them up based on trade value. And if other teams are telling me, hey, we're talking to the Braves, like if I'm Oakland and I'm talking to the Braves about Matt Olson, I want Harrison Langoliers. I don't want Pache and Waters. I'd rather go for you know Freddie Tarnock or something a little further down the list. And ultimately, that's what this is trying to reflect, is what do other teams think about uh, the Braves players or any other team's players. And if they've lost trade value, then you kind of have to move them down unless you think you're smarter than all 30 teams, which, you know, maybe every now and then I am, but not consistently <laughs> on everything. We've talked about Harris. We've talked about Langoliers, but the Braves only have two prospects on your top 100 list. Is that is that concerning if you're the Atlanta Braves, or is that a lot of young players have come up and made it to the major league level? Kind of how do you assess the, the uh, strength of the Braves minor league talent right now? Yeah, I can give you a little sneak preview on Friday. I'll have my farm rankings going up, and I'm still moving some teams around. But right now I have the Braves at 26 out of 30. Uh, so it's not great. Uh, and typically the way that I like line these up, there's like a sort of empirical formula I use where the vast majority, like 80% of your farm value, comes from your guys that are on that like top 100 to 120 area. And so Harris, Langlers, Pache, those are the three guys. Most of the teams ahead of them have more than three guys at that level. So like that alone like not even looking at the depth because the depth guys are worth a couple million. Those guys I just mentioned are all worth between like 15 and 40 million. So you have to have 40 depth guys to make up for Michael Harris. So it kind of gives you an idea of how this gets calculated. Basically how many top 100 ish guys you have. That's how high you rank. The Braves don't have that many. So they're not ranked that high. Now in terms of the entire minor league system, they obviously had those international sanctions. They had a couple years of not signing guys in that area. Um, They've had some draft picks that have uh, topped out a bit. Not sure they're going to go much further. Uh, and so the debt and then also trading some prospects to, you know, upgrade the big league team when you're competing, obviously won the world title. That's what you're supposed to do. So while having the best farm system or, the, you know, one of the better farm systems is great, it doesn't really mean anything. It's, you don't get a banner for that. Um, so it's, you know, part of the trade-off. If you want the big league team to be good, you got to spend some money there uh, and you don't have quite as good of a system. And I think we've seen that it's thinned out a bit. And now that they've had uh, two years of signing some seven-figure players in the international realm, I think now we may see some of the depth getting built back up again, where, as I'm pointing out, the depth is an issue. 
bringing in reinforcements for the big league team from below double AA, A, triple A, it's getting a little thin. So I think the team may be focusing more now on let's upgrade the big league team and let's build some depth in the lower minors so that like when these guys start leaving or getting to, you know, Dansby Swanson goes to free agency, we need to have some internal answers. We can't just go spend $20 million on every single guy. So I think we're at a little bit of a turning point. Uh, Kylie McDaniel joining us here on three and out. And, and Kylie, obviously we start off by saying pitchers and catchers around major league baseball are all set to be in camp. Uh, as of today, that obviously did not happen. Just gut feel for you as an MLB insider, where do you think this thing is going? Is there a, a deadline where they start to feel the pain as players and or owners? Or how long do you think both sides are willing to let this go without really talking to each other but once every uh, you know 10 days or so? I was, uh, I was just talking to an agent that's pretty plugged in on the union into things, and he was like, what do you think is going on here? And I'm like... Well, as far as I can tell, the pain point, if I had to guess what it is for the owners, is TV deals largely say less than 150 games are delivered, you, you pay us back our money, like some amount of it. So getting 150 games or more in is, I think, the goal. I, I don't know for sure. This isn't like reporting. But if I had to guess when they're like, the, the thing we don't want to cross is that. And it's more than just, you know, 12 games get canceled, we get down to 150. It's like, well, you can condense them into a smaller amount of time. You can move the schedule back a little bit. So, you know, if opening day is roughly April 1st, you might be able to get it as, as late as, uh, as, you know, May 1st. Like, you may be able to delay a whole thing a month and still get 150 games on a shorter schedule, still have the playoffs, still do all that stuff, and it sort of minimize the damage where you're just losing a tiny, you know, single-digit percentage of your revenues. And, you know, maybe PR and other things as well, but, you know, they focus on the bottom line. So if you try to you know, backward engineer that from the date that they can actually uh, manage this, they need to have like an agreement basically at some time in like the second half of March because it's going to take like two, three weeks to do the rest of free agency, to do, to do an expedited spring training. Uh, like there's still some stuff that needs to be done. And once they have an agreement, it's not going to be signed and players on the field for at least a couple more days. So it's like basically a month from when you see like the report from Jeff Passan, like agreement has been reached, like it's done, done. They're not going to be playing like an actual game on the field for like at least a month. Um, and so if we think May 1st is that kind of drop dead point where they start really losing actual amounts of money, that then means that April 1st is basically like that sort of drop dead area. And so I sort of laid this out to the agent I was talking to. And he was like, yeah, basically, I think if everything goes somewhere in that area, that somewhere in March, there will be an agreement. They'll start negotiating, like in, in reality, being reasonable and trying to find a solution at some point very early in March or very late in February, which unfortunately means if that's all correct, we got like two more weeks of them not really doing anything. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. again, how big of a PR hit do you think they take during this whole process? Even if they're like, hey, we still played 150 games. We didn't start till May 1. I mean, is that a big enough PR hit? I, I always say, Kylie, in today's climate, you give people another opportunity to go do something else, they probably will. Yeah, and also, like, I mean, we've seen this with, like, political stuff. Every time everyone thinks, like, the world's going to end because something happened politically, everyone just forgets about it two weeks later. So as much as I agree with you that you don't want to, like, start the season a month later because people will find something else to watch, it was like, yeah, we started watching Korean baseball. It's like, oh, we don't have, you know, America, uh, American baseball, so let's watch Korean baseball. And it was like, oh, American baseball is back. No one ever talks about Korean baseball ever again. And it was like, the, you know, all of your degenerate friends were betting on those games, and then they just stopped watching them. So... Uh, I think it can work both ways, the uh, sort of flighty uh, uh, sense of focus that the American people have. So at least that's what the owners, I think, are leaning into, which is we have a premium product and everyone wants it, so we can kind of do whatever we want. And when we get our money right, then we'll let everybody play. Like that's, that's the mindset there, whether that ends up being accurate or not. Kylie McDaniel, ESPN MLB Insider, our guest here on 3 and Out. Kylie, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yep, thanks for having me. Kylie McDaniel joining us here on 3 and Out. Much more to come all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
Super Bowl ended on Sunday, which means you have to put out your projections for 2022, right? ESPN's got their power rankings out already for 2022 in the National Football League. Chiefs won, Bills 2, Rams 3, Packers and Bengals. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, A lot of those teams went deep into the playoffs. Have a lot coming back. But the Falcons down at 24 in the Jaguars, BJ. Your Jaguars, 32. How many teams are in the NFL again? Less than 33. (laughs) 32. And again, I think that's a little disrespectful. I mean, I know they were, you know, Dysfunction Junction uh, in uh, in 2021, well, dude, I mean, but I mean, look, but, I, I but they still won three games, okay, okay, and they're in a horrible okay, division. Who would you rank them ahead of right now? I mean, Houston. Well, Houston beat you twice. I, I still think you'd be better than them I mean, I, in look, this go round. Now I, I that you have a coach that is in place, you've got to be better. Yeah. Okay, you've got a real coach. You've got to be better. <laughs> it's well, fun. No, I'm laughing because like. If if the phrase "you got a real coach" would have been said a year ago, and you would have been saying that because Dude, they no 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 no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm saying, but if if 12 months ago somebody was said finally the Jags have you know a real coach, and you would have been saying, well, that means they didn't have Urban Meyer. Been like, look, extremely. That, successful I understand that. Yeah, coach, I understand that. But, the, I mean, it was bad. It was bad. And you're talking about uh, you know. I just found that, that funny when you're I like, know. and the, the guy he's replacing is Urban Meyer, who people thought. Would be at least good in the National but Football you're League. Not, maybe if yeah, a team that, that that does have a head coach with a Super Bowl. You're talking about a team that has the number one overall pick in the draft for the second straight year. You're talking about a team that has what five of the top. I keep getting this wrong. I think it's five of the top 105 picks. You have the third most. We did confirm that the third most salary cap space. Uh, you've got to be better. You've got to be better. And you talk about can you move up in your division? I mean. The Colts don't want their quarterback. The Texans, uh, Lovey Smith's a great coach. They got a lot of work to do. Uh, you've seen Tennessee really be a consistent, dominant team in this division, but what are they going to do at quarterback? And can they maintain this? I think there's a chance to get better, but I just think until you see what they do in the draft and what they do in free agency, the Jaguars have messed that up before, you can look and say, yeah, they're going to be better, but you got to see it. Now the Falcons, man, you would hope you could be better than twenty-four. I mean, I and I know Cam was saying, look, you don't have a lot of cap space. Uh, you have that that pick at eight, which could be one of the more interesting picks in the draft. But the Falcons got to be better than that. I think they sh- they will. And again, for much the same reason about the uh, the Jaguars, BJ. You look at your division. You're saying the Bucks minus Tom Brady minus you know Gronk, and I'm sure you're going to have a couple other guys potentially want to go get paid and play elsewhere uh, there in Tampa Bay. There is turnover there in New Orleans. You've got a lot of questions for the Saints. And, and certainly at Carolina, there's a lot of questions. So you have a division that if I got Matt Ryan, I got to at least think if I have a decently competent offseason and draft, I should be in the running to win the division, right? And if, you can, if you're a division winner, you got to be better than 24th. Now, a lot has to happen. Uh, to improve that defense, and the Falcons did release Dante Fowler today. I just saw that uh, just happen. So you still need more pass rushing help. I'm saying not that Dante Fowler lived up to the hype, but now you just need even more pass rushing uh, assistance out there if you're the Falcons. But you should be. I just think they're better than that. Uh, and in a division that should allow you to win some ball games, I think you should be better than than 24. That seems a little low, a little disrespectful of the Atlanta Falcons here. Again, this is all ridiculously early, but a little disrespectful. 
Uh, we like playing the disrespect card here on the show uh, as well. A lot more to come here on Three Out. Michael Jenkins, speaking of the Falcons, former Falcons, great 2004 first-round draft pick by the Atlanta Falcons. He will join us coming up top of the final hour. It's Three and Out of the Southern Pigskin. We're along here on this Wednesday, Kevin B.J., uh, here on the show, hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We are streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Follow our YouTube channel uh, at ESPN Coastal there on YouTube. And uh, BJ, uh, the HBCU, uh, I'm, the HBCU Legacy Bowl coming up uh, in Savannah State's got some representation there. Their safety, Marvin Grunchy, uh, 32 tackles, three tackles for loss, two picks, three pass breakups. He's going to be representing the Tigers there at the Legacy Bowl. Yeah, it's awesome. A, a great event, the Legacy Bowl, and uh, just an opportunity for these great student athletes to continue to uh, uh, perform and audition for the next level. And, and I think you're going to see a number of these guys uh, get opportunities in the National Football League. Of course, the HBCU uh, history and tradition so incredible. Uh, but but yeah, Marvin Grunchy, and I like the fact when you think about the you know the versatility of a de- of a defensive back. Are you making plays in run support? Yes. Are you getting behind the line of scrimmage and making plays? You have, you have three tackles for loss, and you're not a front seven player. Yes. Are you active in pass defense? Two interceptions and three pass breakups. Yes. I think uh, uh, Marvin's about 6'1", 6'2", so a chance to make some plays. But uh, these these college all-star games are an opportunity in addition to the tape you already have. And Marvin helped Savannah State have historic success. But in addition to the tape you already have, come out, compete, uh, uh, show what you can do, compete not only in the workouts, the drills, the measurables, all that stuff, but in the game as well. So really excited about the uh, the Legacy Bowl. Great event. And I think it's wonderful to see these student athletes uh, get this opportunity. And, yeah, Marvin, a chance to turn heads and get that opportunity at the next level and, and say, hey, you can look at my film, you can look at my tape, but here I am. You can look at yeah. me uh, in workouts. You can look at me in competition. And I think that only helps add to your draft profile. And this is, what, year two, right, I think, of the, uh, the Legacy Bowl. They just uh, brought, brought this in as a way kind of like, uh, the Senior Bowl and some of these others uh, that are out there, but just for HBCU uh, players and student-athletes to get an opportunity to kind of have a showcase game, as you said, interviews, workouts, all that kind of stuff uh, for NFL teams. So uh, Marvin representing Savannah State. And it's, at, all, about, uh, at, and, yeah. and it's all about exposure. And No, no yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I was and, trying to say. And, but, and these opportunities are, are, are big time. And, you know, you look at any National Football League roster, you look at any roster, there are going to be a number of guys from the HBCU ranks uh, on those rosters, of course, some of the greatest players in the history of uh, you know football over the years have played at the HBCU level, and uh, you're you're going to see that continue. Uh, you're going to see more guys get opportunities, and uh, the Legacy Bowl continues to shine a spotlight on again programs with just incredible history and tradition, uh, incredible student athletes, and really excited for these for these opportunities for these uh, student athletes, these programs to continue to be uh, putting the the spotlight even more as well but uh yeah very cool so i think the nfl network uh, yep. you're going to see that this weekend so i'm uh, really excited for the opportunity there for marvin grunchy yeah absolutely we've got more coming up in the final hour of the program michael jenkins going to join us uh former falcons great wide receiver 2004 first round draft pick out of uh, ohio state uh going to join us coming up at the top of next hour and what could the falcons do a lot of mock drafts saying they go wide receiver again Wide receiver did with michael yep and uh, again that would be the fourth pass catcher in the last decade if they were to go that route uh, the Falcons would have taken in the first round uh, and back-to-back years it would be obviously with the tight end and then wide receiver in this year's draft if they were able to do that so 
we shall see. Who knows? But uh, Michael Jenkins will join us coming up at uh, the top of next hour. Also, look at what is the best option for the Atlanta Falcons going into uh, to that draft. And Chris Fanini uh, will have that conversation breaking down the very latest in what is just turning into some awesome drama between uh, Conference USA and Marshall, Southern Miss, uh, and Old Dominion as they try to leave for the Sun Belt. This is 3 and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you at Pigskin Radio. We are streaming live ESPNCoastal.com and live on Facebook, Twitter, and great to be here on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, glad you're making us a part of your day. We are efforting Michael Jenkins, uh, former Falcons wide receiver, 2004 first round uh, draft pick as well as the Falcons prepare for the draft. They released Dante Fowler earlier this afternoon after two seasons with Atlanta and really didn't give you a whole lot in terms of consistent production. That's been the case with a number of guys there in Atlanta. We talked mock draft earlier in the show, BJ, and Todd McShay has the Falcons taken a receiver at number eight overall. Is that really the, the biggest need uh, for the Falcons? Where do you think... Uh, if you're looking at the Falcons' option, uh, options, are you best player guy? Is it a wide receiver, somebody that can help out Matt Ryan? Is it a defensive lineman? Do you actually use a first-round pick on a quarterback who you have to know is not going to play behind Matt Ryan? What are you looking at if you're Atlanta here at number eight? Yeah, a lot of things to consider, and I think that this is a situation where you might be one of the two or three most interesting teams because what you do is going to impact the rest of the draft. I know – Kev, you talk about the run on quarterbacks, and I do think these quarterbacks, this class overall is better than a lot of people said initially, but Atlanta's right there in that window where it might start. I mean, if you're Atlanta and you draft Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett, I think all of a sudden the draft changes. Uh, I also think that for some teams, you enter the draft and you say, we've got to get an offensive tackle. We've got to get a defensive lineman. We've got to get a corner. Well, I think Atlanta has has so many needs that I think they might just be in a position to literally take best available. And I, I think sometimes that term is thrown out kind of kind of more than it's practically used, you know. I mean if you're if you're a team that has a proven quarterback and the best player available is a proven quarterback, well you're not taking the best player available, even if he's the highest player on your board or uh, a running back or, you know, probably an edge rusher, a corner, something like that where there's not a ton of rotation. Uh, I, I think Atlanta, you could feel good about a number of picks. I mean, if Kyle Hamilton, and that's probably the most common projection I've seen, falls to Atlanta, you're ecstatic because you compare him with Terrell, and now you have two superstars in the secondary, one at corner, one at safety. Hamilton can cover the whole field. He can play sideline to sideline, all the superlatives, but you don't know if he's going to be there. Uh, if he is, 6'4", 220 at safety, one of the great players in this draft, that's an obvious. That's an obvious pick. Uh, I know a lot of people. I've seen a lot of projections for Derek Stingley. If Derek Stingley's there, this is a passing league. If you have a cornerback tandem of AJ Terrell and Derek Stingley, that is probably right up there right away as yep. one of the best in the National Football League. But I'll say this though, and maybe the fact that they moved on from Dante Fowler. Tell, that kind of tips your hand a little bit that you're looking edge rusher. Do you have confidence I mean, in the Falcons' ability well, to draft well, an edge rusher? No, but to your point, you've said this because ever since you've been doing radio, yep, I, I, draft, it's been a talking said, point for 20 you years. To, you have to draft a defensive lineman that can rush the passer, but you have to keep trying. And given the way some of the mocks, and I understand the mock drafts aren't always indicative of what's going to happen, but some of the momentum we've seen for some guys moving up, well, if somebody moves up, somebody has to come down. And maybe an Aiden Hutchinson 
is still on the board. Maybe a Kayvon Thibodeau. I mean, if Kayvon Thibodeau, I, I think he's after that, a little higher that, than that. But I've I mean. seen some mock drafts that have him fallen to five or six or seven. I mean, if you're if you're Atlanta and one of those guys is there, I think that's a home run. Maybe you have uh, David Ajabo ranked just as high or, or 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 close. I mean, he had very similar production to Hutchinson as an edge rusher in Michigan. He could be a guy. Uh, I saw a mock draft that had you talk about guys rising. Jermaine Johnson, uh, the Georgia turned Florida State player. He's a probably a three four edge. Uh, could play in the four three as well. I think he's six five two sixty. I mean, he would be a great fit. Uh, like you said, what's the status with with Calvin Ridley? You don't know. Uh, would you be stunned if they drafted a linebacker? I wouldn't. When you think about uh, what Nicobe Dean possibly could do, I mean, I think a couple of Georgia guys might be in play. I wouldn't be stunned if they drafted Jordan Davis and said we're going to play a three four with Grady at one of the quote edge positions and Jordan Davis at nose guard. So I think there are a ton of options. Stingley would make sense. Hamilton would make sense. Any of the edge rushers would make sense. And then as we've talked about, and I think there's merit to this, you as an organization don't plan on being in the top 10 picking a lot. You as an organization know that you have to get a quarterback. Matt Ryan probably has one more year. I think the final year on the contract, they will find a way to move him and the cost won't be as considerable. Uh, Are you going to be in a position in the next four or five years to draft maybe the best quarterback in a class? And some may say, well, pick it. And Willis, maybe they would be, you know, two, three, four in other classes. Maybe, maybe not. But they're the top quarterbacks in this class. If you're sitting there at eight and you have a chance to get the number one quarterback on your board, the number one quarterback on your board, I mean, Kevin, that's a hard thing to say no to. It certainly is. But I, I say this, too, with a, with a team that has so many needs. And you go get a quarterback. This is where, again, you, you have to, I guess, trust the process in this thing. I, I hate that phrase. But... Do you go get a a quarterback who you know is not going to play and kind of shun aside the fact that you have many other glaring needs that could help you be competitive right now? Uh, because, because again, well, let me I, ask you this. And the only way I know to answer questions sometimes like that is with a question. <laughs> I understand that. but All right, Can the Falcons win the Super Bowl next year? So you shouldn't try to improve That's yourself. That's not what I'm asking. Not, I, I'm, I'm asking you a question. Can the Falcons win the Super Bowl next year? Uh, not knowing what the team will look like, I would say it'll be a long shot. But I'm thinking you're building towards something. Should you be trying to make the playoffs? Yes. I'm not saying you don't try to get better. But if you look at it as these two things are truths, Matt Ryan has, at the very least, one more year, maybe two more years, probably one more year. In the National Football League. With Atlanta. Yeah, 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 with Atlanta, right, of course. Could go somewhere else. But in the National Football League, it kind of doesn't matter to a certain extent outside of the quarterback position. Like – you, you've got to have a quarterback. You've got to have a quarterback. So, and I want to bring this up. You know, we talked about this with Ben. We've talked about this a bunch. Let's say you draft, and I, I don't know the answer, and, and I don't want to single out one guy. Let's say you draft a Charles Cross or a Nicobe Dean or an Aiden Hutchinson or a Derek Stingley or a Traylon Burks, whoever, whatever player you want to, you want to put in there at eight. Is that the difference in you winning two or three or four games, four more games? Or are you at the end of the day, because Cam mentioned this earlier, you don't have a lot of cap space. This is not a situation like Jacksonville where you're going to have a considerably different looking roster. I think Atlanta, for the most part, is going to have a similar roster. Like, you're not going to be able to go out and get a $50 million defender or a $20 million wide receiver. Is it, is it worth getting marginally better 
maybe, and maybe you get a lot better. Maybe Derek Stingley makes you a, a immediately better. I, I don't know. But if you're assuming that there's a limit on what the team can do this year, because as you said, there are a wide variety of holes, you're not going to be able to address all of those holes because you don't have the money. And but the best way to address them is with your first-round pick, correct? I mean, you yes. would assume that that yes. is correct. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying second, third right. round, you can't do it. And, what I'm I mean. not saying, and I'm not saying what I'm saying is right. I'm bringing up the idea to kind of, to kind of talk about it out loud is how do you weigh the balance between a player that will make us better now, yes, yeah. well, versus, versus potentially, and I would probably go Willis if I'm ranking the quarterbacks right now, potentially a Malik Willis who not only would be – a guy that makes us a lot better or prevents us from taking a significant step back, but would also be the face of our franchise. I mean, I think that's something else you think about when you draft a quarterback. I mean, it's quarterbacks are so much in the National Football League. I understand that. I, I, I don't know how you balance it. I mean, to me... And could you get a guy in the top half of the second round that could be your quarterback of the future all right, I'll versus, this way. versus plugging yeah. a hole right I'll now? Because it's been way. always says, you get a guy in the first round... It's not even a question. They are expected to come in and start and fill a hole right then. Not that they will be growing big. I think in this class, there is a higher likelihood that you can get a receiver, a defensive lineman, a defensive back in the second round that is closer to the talent of the guy you would have gotten in the first round than at quarterback. Right? Like, let's say you. So you think there's like three quarterbacks that are. Yeah, basically well, I mean, any good. Well, I mean, Kevin, if you're talking about the top of the second round, Atlanta will be, what, like 40 in the second round? I mean, Willis is not going to be there. Pickett is not going to be there. I I don't think Corral's going to be there based on what we're seeing. I don't think Howell's going to be there. So you'd be talking about maybe a Carson Strong, um, you know, and, and I don't have all the list of quarterbacks in front of me. I'm sure there's somebody I'm, 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 I'm forgetting about. But I think, conversely, if you were to just let's just use wide receiver as an example. Let's say at wide receiver, what? Uh, uh, Tom Shea had him taking Drake London. Right. Maybe Drake London or Jamison Williams uh, potentially there at one. Those guys, spectacular. But would you feel pretty good about a George Pickens or a Justin Ross in, in round two maybe? I, I mean, even at edge rusher, you know, some people have said Jermaine Johnson might be there. I, I think, to me, Malik Willis stands out. I, I, and... I, Maybe you do like a Matt Corral, but I don't think Malik Willis is going to be there at 40. I don't think Malik Willis is going to be there. And if, if, even if you look at, let's say, um, let's say an Aiden Hutchinson is there. You know, Aiden Hutchinson, is is he is the difference between Aiden Hutchinson and Drake Jackson, who might be there in the second round, as, as significant as, say, Malik Willis and Carson Strong? I mean, I, I just think... Well, and, and I'll, I'll kind of give you find, my... I'll, 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 I'll hear, hear, give you kind of my argument here. Does Malik Willis help you win ball games this year? No. And again, and I know you can say, well, we're going long term. Well, sometimes in the NFL, you can't wait long term because the guy that's bringing him is going to be fired. My point is, if you know you have a quarterback coming, if, if I'm taking Kenny Pickett, or I had better be so in love with Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis that it doesn't matter. I'm willing to take him. Like, there's no question. If not, I want to make sure when I do find the guy that I like, He's got so much talent around him on both sides of the ball that he's going to step in and be successful. Not, hey, we got Kenny Pickett, and now here we are in the next year. It's like, 
bro, we still got to get you some offensive linemen and some wide receivers and maybe a decent no, I, running back. I, agree. I would rather put my quarterback into a situation where the talent is there and you go play but this is vice versa but a this Trevor Lawrence where it's like, Trevor, we got you, and now you're going to have to wait until we fill all this stuff around you for you're going to be any good. I think, I think we I, all agree they're going to win, you know, if we're just drawing it up right now, somewhere between probably six and ten games, right? You're probably not going. Which two, most of the league probably yeah, will do. I you're mean, you're probably yeah, not yeah. going two and fifteen, and you're probably not going fifteen and two. So that means you're drafting somewhere between twelve and eighteen. So if you don't get your quarterback here, and keep in mind, in most years, quarterbacks go in the top three, four, five. That and we don't know, but that doesn't look like it's going to be the case this year necessarily. Are you getting Bryce Young at at, at, at pick fourteen next year? Are you getting? Is C. there Stroud? a free agent quarterback that you're in? I mean, like, well, I'm, I'm no, not like. For example, potentially this year you could have Russell Wilson potentially available. I'm not saying the fact, but I'm saying next year there'll be a free agent guy that's looking to get out, right? Aaron Rodgers is potentially was earlier in the show, and of, of of course there's incredible talent at every position. But as you said, when somebody takes a quarterback, they're gone, and that's my only thing about at 40 is there may be there may be eight or nine great edge rushers or cornerbacks. And I think if one is taken in the middle part of the first round, that doesn't necessarily mean they're all about to go. As you mentioned, when a quarterback goes, when Willis goes, then Pickett's going, then, then uh, Corral's going, whoever. And I think there's maybe a little better depth at, at some other positions in this. I mean, I'm amazed at some of these mock second rounds. And, look, I've been wrong on quarterback evaluation before. I mean, you might have some of these second or third round guys. I mean, we were all surprised that Josh Allen did what he did. You may have some of these day two quarterbacks that end up being superstars. But I just think in terms of proven college production, based on some of the mocks I've seen, there are guys that were All-American, All-Conference, you know, stars at other positions that are being projected to go in the second round, even the third round. And I, I don't know if the pundits feel that same way about the class of quarterbacks. I think the idea is maybe those two guys at the top are – are you know potential franchise guys, but Kevin, I'm I saying to you. do that, you I, had I better 100% not just be like, well, we got to get somebody to, so we're going to get the best of what we have. No, if I if I'm draft, if I'm not, if I'm just going to sit there and just look the other way, that the fact that I can't sack quarterbacks or that Matt Ryan was one of the most hit quarterbacks in the league, and I'm just going to look over here and go, hey man, we drafted a quarterback. He had better be the guy but I have you, so much faith in that there's no question he's going to be the eight to ten year quarterback. Do you see that with Kenny Pickett? Maybe you do. Let's go to break. You I got to ask you another question. All right, we'll come back. We'll continue this conversation when we return. Love to hear from you as well. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, streaming live at ESP. Welcome back, three and out. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett. You got me fired up talking draft today, BJ. I'm telling you. Falcons there have a number of options. And again, it's I I understand what you're saying, like go get the guy. But I all I'm saying I'm is I'm not if, saying do it. I'm if, saying you have to think about it. I have no problem with having a guy that you draft and sit. My my question is, do you draft a guy if I'm gonna draft a guy and sit him, he had better be a guy that I'm like, oh, this is he ain't he's not missing. It's not gonna be a guy that two years in you're looking at going, did we get Daniel Jones and we could have gotten other stuff? And I'm not saying that Daniel but it's like again, you're talking about you want that. 10 to 12 year guy that's going to run your franchise and run your run your team as a quarterback of the of of the of your franchise I want to put him in the best position to succeed and I think if you can go out and get talent 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 again Matt Ryan was the most hit quarterback we, people focus on you can't sack a quarterback they couldn't block either right he was the most hit quarterback first two thirds of the season could not protect your quarterback 
Well, I think Do I want to go get somebody that's coming in and like, hey, man, we're giving, you a, we're giving you the Cincinnati. Look what happened to Joe Burrow with the crap know, offensive line. To a certain extent, that's like, maybe that's part of the point is there are so many issues. But you're not that, the Bengals and you're not the Jags that, who are like, you're winning one. Like, I you know, are, but is, is one pick. And here's what we were, we were talking about it during the break. When you look at a lot of the top quarterbacks in the league, a lot of them sat. You know, sometimes I think there's this misnomer that, oh, man, it's not going to work. Like, there's not a great track record. There is. Quarterbacks that come in and, for whatever reason, have to have to sit. Maybe they don't get a chance until injury. You know, who knows what it is. Maybe it's a team planning planning ahead. A uh, and it's going to be fascinating to see what Terry Fontenot does. But I think I think there are... There are plenty of stories that show that it works, and I'm not saying it's what you what you have to do. I think a lot of it depends on what happens in front of you. That's why right. I think it's I mean, a do tough you, spot. Is it unreasonable? And then people are writing up, but is it unreasonable to think that Matt Ryan could come back after this next season? Based on everything that I've read, seen, heard, and I'm not there. And I'm that's saying, based on getting cheaper at the yeah, quarterback spot. I'm just that's anecdotally, based on what I've seen, that would be a big surprise to me. And again, I understand it's headed that way, but again, if you just are not in love with somebody, I would rather make sure my new quarterback stands upright, has guys to get the ball to, and oh, by the way, when we get a lead, we have the lead, not we have the lead for this minute. And, and obviously, that's I'm not talking about like in a game-to-game situation. I'm talking about like conceptually over the course of a season, you can hold on to a lead. The Falcons team doesn't do that. As again, BJ, with, with Matt Ryan, the one year they went to the Super Bowl, they were top 10 defense. Every other year... They're under 20 in the back half of the league in, in team defense. This year, couldn't sack a quarterback. Could, so it's like, I, I just look at, there are so many things that go into being a, a big-time uh, franchise that if you look at where the Falcons are right now, to me, quarterback on my list of priorities, even knowing that Matt Ryan may not be back after this year, is very low. I want to make sure I have playmakers on both sides of the ball to the best of my uh, ability to do so, so that whoever the next guy is, is going to step into a positive situation. I, I don't know if I want to use a first-round pick. Let me just say that. I don't know if I want to use a first-round pick right now on a guy that's not going to play. Fair enough. I mean, I, th- that's the conversation I'm having. Because well, you, I mean, you first have, off, yeah, I, you I have needs for guys who can play right now. Your, your point principally, but there's no guarantee that whoever you pick in the first round is going to play or play well. I mean, understand that. So and, say, and as Cam said in the break, it is the Falcons right, we're talking so, about, so I understand, so I mean, I understand I, that. I mean, but, so whether you're the Falcons, the Jaguars, whoever, when you talk about, uh, like I think sometimes we talk about certain draft picks, like there's this guarantee they're going to come in and be great right away. and. Whether it's a uh, defensive end, an offensive lineman, a quarterback, I'm saying if you give them weapons around them, they have a better chance of succeeding than if you dare uh, David Carr, sure, who who came in and is like, bro, you got a bad offensive line. But, you're gonna... but, but we're talking about one pick, like like when you say a quarterback stepping into a better situation. But again, that's a it's a major pick, I don't pick, think you can slough okay, it on. off and say it's one pick if when that, you're talking about if quarterback. That pick is Derek Stingley? Does that help the quarterback? If it gets the defense off the field, potentially. You get, you don't have to worry about the defense, uh, you know, playing so much, blowing leads. I mean, that's a cornerstone of the Atlanta Falcons. I'm just saying, there's how a many times? I mean, how many times have the Atlanta Falcons had leads and the defense can't get off the field? Matt Ryan's like, bro, I just threw for 400 yards and, and we lost. And I, and I love Stingley. I don't understand why he slid in these drafts, but I've seen some people say on message forums and blogs, much like the argument with Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau for Jacksonville, would you draft Derek Stingley in theory to be a number two corner? When you talk about it's a heck of a number two corner, right? Though. I mean, but 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 quarterback is not a leading need. I understand, but that gets me better right now. I don't know if uh, again you're not AJ drafting. Terrell was a second team. You, all you're not drafting 
Derek Stingley to sit. But what I'm saying right? You're is, not going to say, hey, we got Derek Stingley. Is, we'll it, see him in 2023. The argument is we have more pressing needs than this position. Right. Do you have more pressing needs than corner? Potentially, if he's the best guy on your on your board. I, I just think with the way most of these guys are I don't know that uh, you, you're, you're going to go look on your board and say quarterback is our best player available right now, even on the big board. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm looking at it in a bad way. Are you looking at uh, Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis is the best player on your board at eight. Maybe you are. I don't know that a lot of teams are going to have them rated uh, that high. I think it would be a reach for Atlanta. And, again, you probably have, as you have said. Didn't people say have, it was a reach for A.J. Terrell, too? Yet they did. They did. But I, I think they also needed a guy like that to help shore up their defense. So, look, I, I'm all about if you're going to draft a quarterback, make sure it's some guy is somebody you really love. Again, at the other day, how many guys – we're in love with Christian Ponder in that draft, or was that a panic pick? Oh, God, I have a quarterback. That's what I'm guarding but against if I'm the Falcons. That's kind of what I'm I want a quarterback here. to replace Matt Ryan. I don't love this but, guy, but, but Kevin, he's the best of what we can get. I'm agreeing, take with you. I'm agreeing with you. I don't like panic picks at quarterback, which is why I think doing And it happens it, every year. But Which is why I think doing it a year before you have to might help avoid that. Whereas if you, if you don't, and then Ryan's gone, and I'm sure the Falcons – you know they know what they're doing. They obviously have their plan. But I'm saying if you have a quarterback that is that is stepping away or retiring or, or moving on or you're not resigning, whatever, and then and then all of a sudden you're looking around, you end up with Christian Ponder. Whereas I think maybe if you look at it a year in advance and maybe the free agent, see, uh, free agent. I just look back and, you, and and I think Christian Ponder was in that group where people said, man, there's really only two first round quarterbacks graded out in this draft. There ended up being what like six in the first round. You're going. Christian Ponder, people thought maybe a second round pick, and he went in the top ten, right? Let me ask you this, I think and then I'll Jake Walker went high in that yes, draft, let me ask you and this, you're and going. None of these guys were rated that high, because and all of a sudden they're all going in the first round. I, you're, and, and you know it's not going to work out. I think we out. do that at every position. I think we do that at every position. We just I don't talk know. About I think you. Quarterback. I think right, you on. really do overdo it at quarterback. Who in this draft are there? Eight guys because. The Falcons should be able to get one of their top eight players on, on their big board. <laughs> yes. Are there eight players in this draft who, in your mind, are absolutely, without question, cannot miss, are going to immediately make you better right away and be that way for the next six, seven, eight years? Well, one for sure, Evan Neal, you can't get him. I mean, he's going to well, be this, good. That's what I'm getting at. Because if you're saying, saying you buddy, but, somebody but he is in, uh, that's just in a position where a you reach. can't get him. Yeah. Who, who, I think Evan Neal, I think Kyle Hamilton, I think – Probably Thibodeau. I mean, because he like Ben talked about, right. he did the he did the clowny thing. Uh, are there are there eight guys? I mean, I know it's a risk for Willis. Is it a risk for just about anybody else there? I mean, I think you feel pretty good about Derek Stingley's ability to come Agreed. in and play. Um, if if you can get him at at number eight, I think that's one that the, I know you Equanu. really like Jamison Williams. I know coming off a Jamison knee injury, Williams. that would be. You know, are you going to get him two or three weeks into the season? Uh, and how quickly does he but get back there, up you're to speed? Drafting a guy, is he going to be 100 percent good to but go yeah, for the whole that, season? That's, right that's, away. That's my that's my takeaway from that. But yeah, I just think when you have for where the Falcons are, this is not a fan base that I think wants to hear we're willing to go. Even if you are, hey, seven and nine is good. No, people remember this team was in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl a couple years ago, and then it fell off. It's like not wanting to see a team that goes, you know, five and twelve because we're waiting. For the quarterback next year. No, you have Matt Ryan. Use him. Get guys around him to help you get better. And, and and you can get better on offense by having a better defense who can actually, you know, get off the field and see the other guy with the ball and go get him. Like, the Falcons have been horrible at that. 
So I, I think they kind of play symbiotically off one another. People go, oh, I'd rather have a good offense. No, I think you'd rather have two pretty good on both sides. I mean, we talked about this in the playoffs. How many teams down the stretch were, quote, unquote, the best defense? I think the Bengals might have been, like, number 10 and all that. But at one point, you were looking around and go, there's a couple teams still in the playoffs that had, you know, 14, 15. Like, in terms of total defense, you don't have to be the Baltimore Ravens with Ray Lewis and, and all those guys to win the Super Bowl. Now, if your offense sucks, you probably do. But you don't need that if you have a quarterback and offense to complement it with. And I think the Falcons could. But if the defense can't get off the field and you're like, Matt, go win. We give you great weapons and go win with a 25th-ranked defense. It's not going to happen because they're just not good enough. So, again, I, I understand the, the fascination with getting a quarterback, and maybe they do it. Maybe they get Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis. I, I just think if you're, you're going to do that, that signals to me, don't expect the Falcons to be trying to win anything. And I don't think they care about winning the division necessarily. Because you haven't gone out and made yourself better with the first pick. Your first pick is going to sit and watch number two play. That's what he's going to do. And you're saying our our, our goal is to be pseudo-competitive, and when Matt's out, then this guy's going to take over, and we might be in the same boat where we're pseudo-competitive because why? We can't block for him either, and we can't get to the quarterback. That's my That would be my concern, doing that long-range thinking, even just getting the quarterback in this draft for Atlanta. we got to step aside. We'll come back. We'll hear from Chris Vanini of The Athletic. When we return, it's 3-0. 